Welcome and thank you for listening to UU Spokane, produced by the Unitarian Universalist Church of Spokane, Washington, featuring the words of Reverend Dr. Todd Eckloff and guest speakers. Sun my sail and moon my rudder as I ply the starry sea, leaning over the edge in wonder, casting questions into the deep, drifting here with my ship's companions, all we kindred pilgrim souls, making our way by the lights of the heavens in our beautiful blue boat home. So today I want to consider journalism as we continue envisioning how things might differ if, as Eric Fromm put it, the sole criterion of everything we do was human welfare. What might it look like in our society if our news media, its primary concern became, as he said, the full human development of all its members? Two days ago when I began preparing this sermon, the front page of the New York Times headline read, U.S. and China agree to a deal to revive ZTE, about a Chinese telecommunications firm that was going under largely because of American sanctions. Along with another front page story, EPA eases way it evaluates risk for chemicals, about the agency's loosening of pollution regulations, and an article on the G7 summit in light of new U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum. The Washington Post cover story, at last capitals hoist the cup, was about a U.S. hockey team winning the national championship. <laughs> the Post also had a cover story about the G7 summit, as well as one from House Speaker Paul Ryan's promise uh, for immigration legislation, and a story about a North Korean family that immigrated here to the U.S. in 1950. Our local paper, The Spokesman Review, had a cover story regarding the release of a new movie about a group of friends who grew up in Spokane. A story about Washington State having met its court-ordered obligations to publicly, properly fund public schools. And one about Spokane, Spokane having been chosen by HUD as a location for an office to help get people off of federal assistance. As I turn to a few of the most familiar online news sources, according to Pew Research, like the British Daily Mail, the Huffington Post, and Yahoo.com, among others, the top story regarded the suicide of Anthony Bourdain, a celebrity chef. Uh, if you don't, didn't know who Anthony Bourdain was, I'm guessing you probably did by the end of the week. Uh, at the time, this was also the leading story on the websites of the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, among many others. I mention these different mediums because these days people get their news from far more than just the paper, which not too many years ago was just about the only way to get it. 
In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, most Americans, about 57%, get their news from television. 38% get it online, and only 20% get their news from newspapers. These days, more Americans actually get their news from radio than they do from the papers. Most newspaper readers these days are 65 years or older, while half of those between 18 and 50 get their news online, and high percentages of those over 50 also watch TV for news, somewhere between 72 and 85 percent. If there's any solace for those in the print industry, it's that the 11 most popular online news sources are those belonging to the most established papers, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, the New York Daily News, the New York Post, the Boston Globe, the San Francisco Chronicle, the Chicago Times, and the British Daily Mail. Another half dozen of the top online news sources belong to established television networks, including MSNBC, CNN, ABC, Fox News, <laughs> CBS, and the BBC. So on the one hand, newspapers are becoming passe, but on the other, most Americans are still getting their news from long-established news agencies. The difference, however, is that the headlines in the papers are about what their respective editors consider the major events of the day prior to print deadline while their online outlets tend to emphasize more immediate, if not less pertinent matters, like the death of a celebrity chef. Increasingly, we find tweets are also becoming big stories, and not just those coming from Donald Trump. Any tweet that goes against popular belief or is deemed politically incorrect can become huge news these days. In other words, if someone says something that many find offensive, or some simply disagree with, it may quickly become the main media event of the day. On May 31st, not too long ago, for, for example, Harvard University researchers reported the death toll in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico was 70 times higher than had originally been reported. The Category 4 hurricane that demolished the island last September as according to this report, resulted in the deaths of more than 4,600 people, maybe as many as 5,700, making it one of the worst, if not the worst or deadliest in history. According to Media Matters, however, after a disturbing tweet by Roseanne Barr, the cable news networks covered the cancellation of her show 16 times more than they did the Puerto Rico report. Fox News spent almost two hours on the cancellation and not one second on Puerto Rico. MSNBC mentioned the Puerto Rico uh, study for 21 minutes and 18 seconds while reporting on the cancellation of Roseanne for more than three and a half hours. CNN spent 12 minutes and three seconds on Puerto Rico and reported on Roseanne's cancellation for close to five hours. From instances like these, the question arises, 
how are decisions made about what the media covers and how much time and attention they give to a particular issue? There are two popular responses to this question, one held by news consumers, the other by those in the news industry, both of which I believe are unfounded. The first of these responses can be summarized by the popular cliché, if it bleeds, it leads. You've all heard this before, right? The thought here is that the news agencies prioritize the news according to which stories are the most sensational. But we need only consider the example at hand to see how false this is. Regardless of her celebrity, the Harvard report about the enormous number of deaths resulting from Hurricane Maria is far more sensational than the cancellation of Roseanne. As were the assassinations of Palestinian peaceful protesters by Israeli militant snipers a couple of weeks ago, which we've also heard very little about. So if, it, if it's bleeding, it was not leading in these cases. As a former TV reporter, I can attest that the sensational nature of a story did not play into whether or not it was covered. I recall, for example, that I once did a story about an overnight emergency veterinarian. Afterward, I was chastised by a veteran colleague for not cutting away before showing the physician's scalpel make its first slice into a cat's broken leg for an operation. The truth is that the news media is extremely conservative about sensational imagery. As a journalist, I saw many horrible things, the gruesome images from which are still singed into my synapses, that could have and would have never been shown on TV. It was our practice to show body bags being removed from a scene, for example, but never the uncovered bodies of accident or fire or murder victims on a scene. Sometimes on a local level, a death in the community due to a tragedy or foul play was often a lead story, but not always. This was so not because it seemed sensational, but because on a local level, these kind of losses grieve us all. The point, however, is even when such tragedy is the lead story, it is not accompanied by sensational imagery on TV or in the papers. Yet perhaps in the service of human interest, it should be. The reason many in the news industry itself use to explain why certain stories are covered is because it's what people want to know. This explanation, which is more of an excuse, puts the onus for what's covered on viewers, listeners, readers, rather than on the news agencies themselves. The reason that if they, they reason that if, as ratings and sales indicate, people are consuming their information, therefore it must be the information they want. In logic, this informal fallacy is known as, where's my Krikarans? Post hoc ergo propter hoc. After the thing, therefore because of the thing. 
It's like having Cheerios for breakfast, going out and finding you have a flat tire and swearing you'll never eat Cheerios again. <laughs> Just because something happens after one event doesn't mean it was its cause. Likewise, just because a newspaper headline is about the G7 summit or local TV news leading with a fatal car accident and consumers then read or watch these reports doesn't mean that these specific stories caused them to do so. How can they possibly know what the stories are in the news before looking at it? Logically, it is their desire to know what's in the news that causes them to look at it. Looking at the news after it happened cannot be its cause. Hence the excuse the news media has no choice but to cover the story that pe stories that people want to see and hear is unsound. The only conclusion that ratings and sales logically lead to is the understanding that some people want to know what's going on in the news. What's covered in the news, however, remains the choice of those new news professionals presenting it. How then are the decisions about what gets covered made? From my limited personal experience in television news, I will briefly mention the three deciding factors that I became most familiar with. Firstly, I would say habit is the greatest factor. News organizations tend to cover and lead with the sort of stories they've always covered and led with. Such coverage is so routine that its news value is seldom questioned. And this is why on local, the local level particularly, the news is most usually about fatal accidents, fires, homicides, severe weather events, local politics, and unique or annual community events. That's a wrap. Another method of determining what the news should be is observing their competition. Sometimes news directors and assignment editors choose to cover a story purely because they don't want to be scooped by the competition. In such cases, they attempt to predict what their competitors might report on. Television newsrooms actually have a huge bay of screens tuned into multiple stations and networks so that they can keep an eye on what everyone else is doing. Once after being confronted by several police officers who were upset about a story that my station ran showing a cop urinating behind his squad car in the middle of the night, which someone had captured on some very grainy video, I rebuked my assignment editor for airing the story, stating emphatically it wasn't even news. He gave me some lame explanation as to why it was news. I don't remember the explanation. I just remember him saying, let me tell you why it is news. So I listened and then I asked, why then is it news now, only after it was aired by another station, and not news a month ago when we first received that footage? I'll say nothing because that was the answer I got. A third reason for giving priority to certain stories more than or in place of others is simply the intuition of those in charge. Every morning the news directors, assignment editors, and other managerial staff meet to discuss which stories will be covered. Taking into consideration what other news outlets are covering, 
Is there any local angle on national stories? A plethora of press releases that have been received and the routine events that are happening that day. They then disperse those assignments to reporters and photographers to cover them in time for various newscasts. The problem, however, is that much of the time those making these decisions are among the least experienced persons in the newsroom. This is so because being a show producer puts one on the fast track toward management. Being a producer, however, is an entry-level position considered a foot in the door to broadcast journalism. Unfortunately, it is also a highly stressful, low-paying job that has a quick turnover rate. If one manages to stay in the position any time at all, one may find oneself promoted to executive producer within just a couple of years, if not a few months, and the next step for an executive producer, who again is often one of the least experienced persons in the newsroom, is to become the news director. So you see the problem. It isn't uncommon for those with the least amount of experience to be the ones determining what should be covered with the full authority to tell more seasoned journalists how to cover it. Yet without lots of experience, one's intuition about what should be covered is often lacking. Thus, even with the best intentions, some journalists cover news based on habit, what everyone else is doing, and inexperienced intuition, rather than looking at each potential story in light of some common standard. What makes it news? For the past three decades, since the Reagan administration removed regulations prohibiting corporations from owning more than just a few stations in one market, or media outlets in one market, now five media giants, just five media giants, as Robert Kennedy Jr. explains in his book, Crimes Against Nature, own or control virtually all of the United States' 2,000 TV stations, 11,000 radio stations, and 11,000 newspapers and magazines. Having also eliminated the Fairness Doctrine, established in 1949 requiring broadcasters to provide equal time for opposing opinions on controversial issues, Reagan made it possible for these few corporations to control the flow of information in their own best interest. The result is that political bias has become another reason for why and how the media cover certain stories, while downplaying or ignoring others. This may seem truer of the national media than of local news, but as we discovered last April, Sinclair News Media, which has been rapidly acquiring and consolidating control of our country's local TV stations, sent out corporate scripts that were read verbatim by its news anchors everywhere, advising viewers, ironically, to be mistrustful of fake news. Intentionally presenting political and corporate propaganda as legitimate news, while using the same media to discredit other opinions, is a more insidious reason for determining what gets covered and what doesn't than our habit, competition, and inexperience, and further reflects the wanton disregard of both truth and democracy. Nevertheless, whether motivated by personal gain or merely functioning by rote, 
The reasons for choosing the stories and issues covered and prioritized in the news are often reflexive, random, biased, and ignore many other pertinent matters. But making the humanitarian ethic its sole criteria for choosing what is covered in the news, journalism would be radically transformed. Instead of mechanically covering the same kind of stories they've always covered, their assignment and editorial meetings would begin by asking, what's happening today that is most detrimental or beneficial to human welfare and to individual growth and fulfillment? Imagine if that's where the news started. Instead of prioritizing what gets the most coverage by observing or predicting what the competition is doing, journalists may be confident that they have the best measuring tool to make their own decisions. Instead of relying upon the intuition and experience of a few individuals to determine what's newsworthy, every journalist and every consumer of the news will immediately recognize the value of a story. Instead of hours of Roseanne Barr, we'd have hours about the death and devastation that continues to impact the lives of people in places like Puerto Rico and Palestine. With human welfare and individual fulfillment as our guide, most newscasts and front pages and blogs would have to lead and devote most of their time to the issue of global warming, racism, women's rights, poverty, refugee crises, mass incarceration, public education, threats to our democracy, and the civilians caught in the crossfire of political conflicts around the world. Local news organizations would cover how matters like these are playing out at home, and the local weather report would include a global warming, warming index. How is global warming impacting our community? Instead of saying, it's going to be another warm day, an unusually warm day. Imagine the impact if all over the nation, in the world, the news always began with how much Arctic ice melted today or how many beings on this planet went extinct. Or if they reported how many African Americans were arrested and locked away, or remain unemployed, or have been suspended from school. Or if the tragedies befalling millions of civilians and refugees from war-ravaged areas were shown to us every day or if the continuing impacts of 500-year-old white supremacist institutions upon the education, employment, housing, health, and freedoms of African Americans and other non-whites were a top priority in our news. Sure, a random tweet or two would still get covered, especially if from someone who has the power to impact the welfare of a lot of people, but it would likely be on the back page or closer to the bottom of the show than the top. For this to happen, three changes must occur. Firstly, the free press must be restored. 
Even though it remains legally free to report, to report what it chooses in this country, the fact is now that it is now controlled by five CEOs means that it is at least potentially a tool for promoting one's special interest. When I first started off in TV news, if a person from sales walked into the newsroom, the news director was on his feet to usher them out. If a person, if a journalist walked into the sales department, they were in big trouble. Prior to Reagan's deregulation of the FCC, journalists governed themselves by maintaining the journalistic ethics of truthfulness, factuality, verification, impartiality, and objectivity. The model that we have had for the past 30 years has largely abandoned these principles. Hence, to free journalists to govern themselves with professional integrity again, our government must break up these massive news conglomerates. Just as it used the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890 to break companies like Standard Oil and AT&T in the past. If there are banks in our country that have become too big to fail, the national media has become too big to succeed. For it cannot be possible for the media to be free when it is controlled and owned by so few. Secondly, the fairness doctrine must be restored. For journalists to succeed and feel free to do their jobs without reflecting the biases and interests of those corporations they work for, those licensed to operate in the public interest must again be required to do so fairly by including diverse opinions on controversial issues. And those opinions should be offered by special guests and experts, not by those posing as journalists. Finally, journalists and reporters must behave childishly. They must never stop asking, why? <laughs> when Donald Trump, for example, claims that the Paris Climate Agreement was a bad deal for the U.S. that should have never, ha never been made, the follow-up question should be, why? When Donald Trump, for example, says the Iran nuclear agreement was a bad deal for the U.S. that should never have been made, the follow-up question should be, Anytime someone in politics makes a claim that impacts policies, it's not enough to merely report what was said or what was tweeted. It is a reporter's job to ask, to ask why it is supposed to be true and to verify the claim if it is indeed true or not. On a global scale, journalism and the free flow of information is not faring well. According to the most recent United Nations report, most countries have laws prohibiting some information from being reported. The global consolidation of media companies controls the flow of information. Too many biased sources on the internet discourage people from experiencing opinions different from their own. Professional standards of journalism are being eroded by economic forces on the one hand and lack of recognition by political actors on the other. And for the past several years, 
an average of two or more journalists are murdered in the, on this planet every week. Although journalism has never been perfectly free and unbiased in the U.S., there once were regulations and professional standards and ethics in place that prevented many of the problems with the news industry we're seeing today. This enabled journalists in our nation to stand above the fray of state-run media in other parts of the world. Today, corporatism and greed has changed this. Even as some of the best journalists find themselves working for propaganda machines. But I'm not suggesting that we should go backward to my romanticized idea of the good old days. In an age of cable and satellite news and internet blogs and tweets, going backward is no longer an option. I'm suggesting rather that we move forward. Forward by making fairness and accuracy the cornerstone of journalism by instituting regulations that make human welfare and individual fulfillment their main priority. And that these same priorities become the criterion for reporting and prioritizing the news. Among everything else he did, it might surprise you to know that Gandhi was a journalist. He even founded a newspaper, The Indian Opinion, in 1903, once ex explaining that he didn't believe it possible to struggle for justice without a newspaper. I realize that the sole aim of journalism should be service, he said, but just as an unchained torrent of water submerges whole countrysides and devastates crops, even so an uncontrollable pen serves to destroy. Today I am suggesting that the journalist's pen, or whatever its modern equivalent is, should be self-controlled in service to the welfare and the unfolding of humanity. Thank you. the talk. Connect with our community on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at UUSpoken or learn more at UUSpoken.org. To the waves upholding me Hail the great winds urging me on Greet the infinite sea before me Sing the sky my sailor song I was born upon the fathoms Never harbor or port have I known wide universe is the ocean I travel and the earth is my blue boat home the wide universe is the ocean I travel